Hello and welcome to a very special New Model Advisor podcast on the topic of fees. If you're a subscriber to NMA, you'll be well aware that our special July 22nd summer edition is out now and that it includes a whole host of fresh analysis on all the most pressing issues facing advisors today. One of those issues is, of course, fees. So in this episode, NMA editor Will Robbins sits down with Capital Asset Management Chief Executive Alan Smith and Paradigm Norton Chief Executive Barry Horner to get their views on the matter. If you have any news, views or reviews of your own from this podcast, do get in touch with us at news at citywide.co.uk and remember to subscribe to our channel on iTunes. But otherwise, sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm Will Robbins, editor of New Model Advisor, and I'm here with Alan Smith. Hello. Hi, good to see you. Um, So... Four years ago, I remember talking with you while I was features editor here about how flat fees were going to take over the uh, financial advice profession. Uh, and four years later, uh, it hasn't happened, has it? <laughs> what's, what's going on? It hasn't happened. Well, it hasn't happened uh, wholesale, that's for sure. We haven't had a sort of a complete uh, shift in the market dynamics that has that is encouraged people to change how they charge for um, the work that they do. But I can tell you change has happened and a degree of change has happened. We've obviously been operating pretty successfully uh, on that model for four, over four years now. Um, we believe that we've, um, we've won a, you know, a fair amount of business as a direct result of our stance on fees. And I can tell you, um, it, my experience is that at the moment, I'm getting quite a few other advice firms, heads, CEOs, leaders of other companies uh, get in touch with me and say, Look, we are thinking of changing, we are going to change. Can I pick your brains? Can I get you know, pick up some of the benefit of the, the experiences that we've had? Uh, frankly, the, the the mistakes we've made uh, over the years, and there's definitely, I can tell you, a movement towards a, a shift. Um, but no change. Sometimes somebody famous once said, uh, "Change tends to happen very slowly at first, and then all of a sudden, all at once." So I think maybe we're we're, we're still in the uh, pretty slowly uh, part of that that, that dynamic. And, and why now then? Why after all this time is, have we reached this, this point? Well, I think we need to sort of go, go, go back and go, get to the fundamentals around the drivers and, and why this was even on the agenda in the first place. Uh, and I think the, the, this conversation has kind of got lost uh, over the years, that it's just a basic, a binary conversation. You need to, you know, me or people like me saying that percentage of assets and an AUM-based compensation model is wrong, people should move to a retainer-based model. There's a lot of other sort of parts in this conversation, and I think we need to remind ourselves of, of those. Uh, and that would include things like the changes in the regulatory environment. You know, we've, we've got uh, dis- disclosure at a particular level um, and, and only going in one way. You know, the MIFID II uh, dynamic around that, increasingly granular pounds and pence disclosure around fee, uh, fee structures and how people tend to pay for professional advice services. At the same time, um, it's being in- in- increasingly accepted that the real value that most financial advisors, most financial planning companies deliver is all around this idea of financial planning, is structuring, is modeling, is stress testing the future, much more so than running investment money, running the client's investment portfolio and managing that. That still has a value, but it's less of a value now than it's ever been in the past, I would say. And so when you've got these sort of combined factors of changes in technology, changes in the value proposition, regulatory uh, changes as well, it's all coming together to, I think, to encourage people and and forward-looking advice firms to still to reconsider, is the model that they've set up on years and years ago, is it still fit for purpose today? 
And frankly, is it still going to be fit for purpose five or ten years from now? Well, we, uh, we, we hear a lot about how, uh, we have heard a lot about how advice fees can be under pressure sometimes. You know, it's been over the last couple of years, there have been a few calls to say, well, of course, there's going to be more pressure on fees, on percentage charging, you know, is, is what meant. Um, but we did some research about a year ago that showed, if anything, advice fees have been creeping upwards. Yeah. Um, what does, you know, how do you square that with your vision or your, your argument that, uh, that there are all these other external pressures? You know, some people uh, have said, regulatory experts have said, you know, again, over the last couple of years, that there's weak price competition mm. between advice firms. Where's, where's the impetus? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And again, this is uh, it, you know, it, it, taking a historical view versus um, a future focused view. I, th I think that's where the difference lies. Um, a couple of points to mention on that. And these are just kind of almost like accidents and circumstances. What we've got, we're sitting here now in 2019. Other than one or two sort of minor blips, we're in the back of a 10-year bull market. Anyone that, that was um, investing 10 years ago and was a client of an advice firm 10 years ago has seen their wealth increase significantly over that period of time. That in itself significantly reduces downward fee pressure. You know, if you've made me money and my portfolio has gone up in value, then I'm not going to be too worried about what, how much you get, you get paid. That's one thing. The other thing, of course, the, the, the shifts in legislation that has occurred over the last few years. You've got things like... Um, George Osborne's famous pensions freedoms that were brought in. That created a huge upswing in the demand for advice. We've also got all this stuff going on, whether, you know, whether people um, involve themselves or not, but the whole sort of DB pensions issues as well. There's a huge demand in the marketplace, there certainly has been over the last number of years, for members of the public seeking independent advice. In fact, they, 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 were, they were bound to, from a regulatory viewpoint, from a legal viewpoint, if they had a transfer value of, above a certain level, they legally had to seek advice on that, 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 that activity that a lot of people were encouraged to do. So we have a supply-demand inequation at the moment. There's a greater demand for advice, and particularly independent advice, than there is supply. And, and, and the laws of economics will tell you when that exists, there is likely to be less downward pressure on fees. So these are all things, markets, you know, markets raging ahead, huge demand, lots of sort of legislative changes that have gone on, um, which have meant that the, the, the volume and the demands for, for advice have kept quite high. Now, if you are going to anticipate that happening for the next five or 10 years, then you know, you're a braver man or woman than I am. Um, because I, I can't see, there the tends to be, over, over the long term, the kind of long term reversion to mean, I never want to be someone who's trying to predict investment markets, it's not what we do. Um, but you know, after 10 years of growth, for the last you know, 100 years or something, there is always a period of reconciliation and where, where um, markets are going to sort of take a step backwards, um, that maybe the demands for, for advice are not going to be quite as high as they have been in the past, I think. Um, the, the real, the huge volume of DB pensions issues seems to be behind us now. There's still a lot of work being done, but it doesn't seem to be at the same volume. And of course, things like the changes in the PI market, professional indemnity insurance market, and the backdrop of regulatory, the re regulatory environment is also creating some challenges in that market. So we are where we are, and that's why I would suggest there hasn't been a huge, in, in practical terms, downward pressure on fees. I think that might eventually be coming now over the next three to five years. And what is the principled argument uh, in favour of, of flat fees and, and also the sort of negative argument against percentage fees? Because, uh, you know, speaking to a lot of advisors, they say, look, this just, this just helps me cover my costs. Uh, it, it covers the risk that I'm taking with, with, with particular you know, uh, clients. Um, 
where does where in, in print you know and and actually the the flat fees that are often quoted to us you know it's anywhere from 1500 pounds maybe 2500 or, or a bit more with sort of some of the really big clients um, but often you know no matter how you cut it they're kind of coming to the same number but you seem to have a, a principled reason why you think percentage charge won't be appropriate long yeah term. so let, let me let me be really clear about one thing there are um, there are a lot of myths or mis misunderstandings in this whole conversation around um, retainers versus percentage of assets. There is no direct correlation between what, whether one should be higher or lower than another. That's not part. Of, that's not our philosophy. It's not what we believe in. Our flat fees for the same level of service in some circumstances will be higher than if we were to charge the, the relevant percentage model. So let's let's sort of rid ourselves of, of that conversation and, and say. Let's go back to basics and say, what are we in business to do? What is our value proposition? Who do we serve? Who do we look after? And what, what value do we wish to bring to their lives? Now, in my opinion, and the opinion of increasing, an increasing amount of people in the community and in this sector, the real value is in this idea of financial planning. It's on modeling what your future might look like. It's having some sort of sensible, wise conversations with clients and with their families about all sorts of things, intergenerational planning, looking at what they're trying to do, looking at successful retirements and modeling how that might come about. So all that work is around effectively a, a consultative relationship with the client. It's not purely money management. Now, if that is the case, and it's what I believe, what my colleagues believe, it's what a lot of our clients have told us that they believe. And if it also is the case, and people will dis disagree with me on this, but, but our view is the investment management piece is becoming it hasn't become yet, but it's becoming increasingly commoditized. In other words, I can buy, my clients can buy an off-the-peg, very simple, very effective, very low-cost investment portfolio for next to nothing that will frankly do the job in most cases. Now, I'm happy to pay an advisor to make, perhaps make me a, a better quality investment proposition, but I'm not prepared to pay an absolute fortune for that. I mean, my analogy is it's always interesting to look at other industries. I was thinking, Will, on my way down here about... I was booking, I was trying to book a flight, but I was doing it in a taxi, in an app on my way to this meeting. And, you know, some years ago, people would have to walk down to the high street and go to a travel agent and have someone else do that work for them. That is now a commoditized service. Booking a simple flight from A to B, for most of us, is pretty simple. It doesn't mean that travel agents are out of business, but they've had to restructure their, their approach and their investment model to where the value really is. So all I'm saying is advisors need to sort of consider where the value is in their business, what they're doing for clients in the, uh, now and in the future, and does charging a percentage of their investment assets, it does that correlate to helping somebody building them a, a financial life plan to give them clarity and confidence about their sort of the, the future security for themselves and their families. And do you think, you know, we've got the, uh, the FCA's RDR review ongoing right now, it's happening, happening this year. Um, and of course, that, you know, that has a specific aim of looking at the impact on, on the market and on issues like the advice gap, the idea that, as you said, you know, there, there are probably too many people who need advice for a number of advisors. Yeah. But also the, 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 the question of whether the advisors that there are simply do not want to or cannot serve certain sections of the market. Yeah. Uh, and uh, where do you think fees, you know, do, do you think are percentage fees the problem there, the idea that you need a certain amount of accumulated wealth already yeah. in order to be advised upon that wealth versus seeing an advisor so that you can have some sort of hope in life of making that amount of money and, and having a different financial situation. Well, no, exactly right. This is, um, there's a couple of issues that you've raised there. And certainly this is 
it is and it has been and it will continue to be on the radar of the regulator. The regulator is there to ensure that the um, investors, retail customers and our investors, you know, they get a good job. They can trust the financial services community to give them high quality advice and they're, frankly they're not going to be ripped off. Um, so that will remain on the agenda. Now, the thing that um, the percentage basis model does, it, it immediately it eliminates a large section of the population from being able to get advice because unless you've got, I don't know, minimum of 100,000, more like half a million in many cases, um, on a percentage-based charging model, you're not going to be able to attract the attention of an advisor. And particularly when we've got this supply-demand equation, there's lots of other people with larger amounts of wealth knocking on their door, well, you're not going to be able to be seen at all. So there's a huge section of them less wealthy and also sort of younger professionals coming through the ranks have got lots of other things on their plate like bringing up a family, getting a mortgage, getting all, the, all those sort of real-life real things. Well, the retainer model works quite well for that. You arrive at it, it's, it's a bit like the idea of a gym membership or, or, or a Netflix membership or something. You can plug into a service. Now, of course, technology is going to have to enable that. Do you, are you going to get a quarterly face-to-face -face meeting with a client, with an advisor? Probably not. Do you need it? Definitely not. Um, but can this, can we think creatively, think for the future and have some sort of sensible retainer-based model that is affordable to the client and customer that will allow the advisor to make a profit, which is important as well, and that we can open up a huge sector of the community, of the, the, the population, to getting high-quality advice, but in a slightly different way has, has been in the past. Another thing that I will mention on this, by and large, the people that have got in touch with me, the advice firms that have got in touch with me over the last couple of years, saying, we like what you're doing, we plan to do that, have generally been new businesses. They've been start-up businesses or, or, or businesses which have spun out of existing firms. Mm -hmm. And I think, as, as a consequence of that, they've got what I call a day one mentality, which means, right, this is day one of a new business. We've got literally a blank piece of paper. What do we want to do? What's our service proposition? What's our model? What sort of clients do we want to look after? How many clients do we want to look after? How are we going to charge for that? If you've got that mindset, which tries to, it does its best to kind of ignore legacy and ignore history and say, if we're starting all over again today, what would that look like? And if you're doing that today, I think many firms, particularly ones who are financial planning focused, are far less likely to say, and we're going to charge our clients a percentage of some of their wealth and, and not all of it. The other aspect, of course, that we think, if financial planning is important, you tend to be talking about people's lives, you're talking about their other assets, their property, their business assets, possibly. Um, they might have holiday homes, second homes, lots of other moving parts going on in people's lives. If I'm giving advice across the whole piece, proper, to use the, the phrase, holistic advice, then it's, it would seem surely incongruent that my pricing model is based on a percentage of a small part of your overall assets, like your pension fund or, or, or something. It seems to me that the, the, the percentage-based model means that the, the money is the client. And if you charge a retainer to the individual or to the family for giving comprehensive, holistic advice across the whole, the whole entire sort of financial ecosystem, well, the family is the client. And everyone I speak to, the clients I speak to, say, I, we, want to we want to be your client, not my money. My money is only a part of me. I want you to advise me on all aspects of my life, including my family, next generation planning. Um, you know, I've got elderly parents. I want, you to, you know, I want you to help me speak about them, not just advise me on how my pension fund is doing. So I think to me, it's the, it's, it's, you know, to use the phrase, it's evolution and not revolution, which you know, things are admittedly changing slower than I had originally anticipated, but change is definitely happening, I can assure you, on the, on the ground level, I'm getting regular contact from other advice firms. We're picking up business from clients
who are with advice firms charging basis points, charging AUM type models, that the clients themselves, the forward thinking clients, you always get clients in any sort of change, when the, any change ever occurs, you tend to get those that are more deep thinkers, the ones that do their, their homework more than others. Right. So I, we're experiencing those at the moment. Those sort of people are engaging with us. They've asked a few tough questions of their existing advisors. Mm -hmm. They've realized that the whole thing is somewhat incongruent, where the value proposition is great, much greater than money management. And so they're getting in touch with firms like us. Eventually, if you look at lots of other changes that have happened in, in history, the main market eventually gets it. The penny drops. You know, the newspapers, the press, they, they, they pick up on this. And people begin to slowly but surely to think, maybe there's a better way. Not necessarily a cheaper way, that's the point. Sometimes it's cheaper, but not always. Sometimes it's a more expensive way, but it's a more open, clear, relevant, and transparent the, uh, model. The early adopters. Uh, you, you always get, you, you get the people who, you know, who, who queue up to get the latest um, trainers yeah, or the latest, the latest smartphone or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And then eventually, and I was never one of those people, but eventually you think, well, everyone else is doing this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn a bit more. What would your retainer be for a 34-year-old trade publication magazine editor with no assets. <laughs> <laughs> For you, makes rates. But how, so seriously, I mean, retainers. We had uh, um, uh, Michael Kitsi's, you know, yeah, article yeah. from the US saying, is, you know, there, is, you know, there were people who were making a living charging retainer of $100, $150, to $200 per month. Yeah. What would, what would you, you know, ballpark, what would you change as a... I th absolutely believe, and we, we, we've had to do, a lot of our work was taking care of our, our existing business and where our sort of, our, our existing sweet spot um, uh, exists. And, well, yeah. Not necessarily older, but yeah, fundamentally, the starting point, you know, we're, we're this is not, this other, the other thing that sometimes people misunderstand, we're not doing this out of entirely altruistic reasons. We're not a charity, we're a commercial organisation, we want to be profitable, which is one of the reasons that we are doing this. And I must come back to that point, incidentally, because there's something else very important here. Um, so let's, we've spent all our the last four years getting that right. We're pretty much, we've, you know, we've still a bit, a bit of work to do, but we're pretty much there in terms of getting that right. Now we're thinking... What would that be? What, what about... Well, this is for example, we, we, we've got a, we've created our own sort of proprietary fee modeler. So we've arrived at a, a, at a, a model which can, considers lots of different things, which is things like complexity. Now, some people's lives are hugely complex. There's lots of moving parts in it. So that's an issue for us, but that also is also linked to time. If I can deal with one of myself or a colleague can deal with a client and, and deliver all the advice that we need to do in two or three hours a year, well, they should, get a, they should be discounted in that. Someone else is going to take 100 hours a year that they should pay more. That just seems, seems natural. The other aspect that's built into this is value. How much value could we add to person A versus person B? Yeah. I can tell you, some people, we can change their life. Others, it's more of a, a tidy up and a tweak. So, those, so the people that were doing a huge amount of value add, I would expect to charge them more for it. Mm. You mentioned at the beginning, Will, this idea of, of risk. Some firms are taking more risk. I know that. So we, we'll build that into our model as well. So we built a proprietary proposition modeler and fee modeler, which will say, based on your circumstances, based on everything you want and need and where we can add some value to you and the things that we know that we should be delivering to you, we'll spit out the other end and we'll say, the fee for you is going to be this amount now and on in the future. And the other point of this is life changes. There'll be points in our clients' lives where things are very simple and straightforward, things are ticking along. Why should they pay a huge premium for that? It's, not, it's pretty straightforward work for us. And other times, I mean, thinking like, for example, the year or two before retirement, there's lots of things going on, lots of planning, lots of work that needs to be done. So during that period of time, we may need to charge a higher fee. So we're able to bespoke things within, within reason um, in order to deliver something which is fair value to the client. We've, we've 
we've avoided as much as possible this cross-subsidy that exists in, in a percentage model, um, and that we're profitable as well. So the next phase in our, in our, in our proposition is to say, let's look at what we're calling um, sort of a, a wealth builder type proposition. Someone who is you know, a younger person on that journey, on that ladder, hasn't got the odd half a million pounds kicking around in the back pocket right now, but anticipates having a bit more wealth down the future once you've taken. So could we arrive? I don't know. I think we could certainly build something uh, absolutely at 100 pounds a month type, type okay. figure, which would offer, at, at that level, that's including a face-to-face, -face, an annual face-to-face -face meeting. Yeah. In our case, preferably, in, 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 a, um, in, in meeting physically, it can be a sort of Skype, Zoom type call if that yeah. was pre preferred mutually. But I think absolutely we could. So, and at that level, and I think you can take it further. I think that's where we are right now in terms of the technology that's available. I think you could get right down to about a £50 a month type, type model, which is doing a lot of it will be self serve DIY. There'll be sort of lots of um, uh, sort of funnels and, and, and um, what are, they, what are they called? You, sort of, you, you take like some decision through. tree. Decision tree, that's yeah. the phrase I was uh, searching for. That sort of thing, but with the oversight of being able to pick up the phone and have a conversation, yeah. have a chat. So I, I think, yeah, I absolutely think we, we can do that. We're, we're not quite ready, but that's on, that's on our sort of wish list of things uh, to do. There's another aspect uh, I think that people should consider as well. If you think about, I've talked very much in the past about this is right for clients, but it also needs to be right for the firm, for the advice firm, because, you know, all of us are in business to, you know, to make a, a commercial profit for the benefit of ourselves, our own families, our own security, as well as to be around to make sure we're here to help you know, future clients uh, in, in the years ahead. Um, if you look at some of the, if you sort of drill down to the, the, the demographics, and you mentioned earlier on, you know, where, where do a lot of advisors sit in terms of who, who are their clients? The biggest concentration of clients tends to be around the at-retirement market. So it's the pre and often the post-retirement market. All the demographics around the baby boomers retiring, biggest sort of cascade of wealth in, in, in history. Um, and guess what? Now your clients are in retirement, which means they're spending their wealth over time. So the average client is going to spend 4 or 5% of their investments each year. And I know this for sure, having spoken to some other advice firms, they are the, if you've got a basis points charging structure, and your clients are spending their money, this is regardless of any sort of market falls or market corrections, if they're just consuming their wealth, which is what they're supposed to do, that was the whole plan. You accumulate during your working years and you decumulate and you spend your wealth during retirement and or for tax planning and for estate planning reasons, you give some of it away, you give it to your kids or to charities or whatever. Well, if you've got a, a fee model which is based upon the assets under management and you're losing assets every year through just normal natural wastage, well, you're gonna to have to fill the hopper. You have to work twice as hard to fill your new clients you haven't been asked to do any less work. If anything, the work is more complex, income optimization, tax management for retirees and so on. But naturally, your income is falling. Now, in, in what business school does it say that's a sensible thing to do for any organization to, have, to continue to have the same or increased level of services for a guaranteed reduction in their income year after year? It's nuts to me. So in order to also to protect your own margins, to protect your revenue and your profitability, and not have to constantly seek new clients to replace the revenue that you're losing, um, that maybe a some sort of underpin, some sort of flat fee retainer for that planning uh, advice might be a sensible thing from the business's viewpoint as well as from the client's viewpoint. Unless you can find some more baby booms from somewhere, a new generation. For sure, generation you, you, you've, always got to, you've always got to keep, yeah, you, 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 yeah, so that the next generation coming yeah. through, that's what I'm saying. Of course, m most progressive growth-oriented businesses want to do that, yeah. but you're going to have to find twice as many. Well, you're, not, you're going to have to find, let's say, five to ten, if 5 to 10% of your revenue is going down every year because your existing clients are spending it, which is, which is a pretty normal 
and burn rate, then you have to find five to 10% more clients just to stand still. Never mind growth, just to stay, stay still, which maybe you do, but maybe, would it be better to have a fee structure and a, and a compensation model that just allows you to have a fair amount of remuneration for the work that's being done that you don't reduce your fees every year? You know, why, why on earth? It just doesn't make sense. Again, as I often say, if we hadn't of, if, we, if this didn't exist, we wouldn't invent it. Now, you, there's lots of flaws for both the client's viewpoint and from the advisory firm's viewpoint in a percentage-based based model. But I, again, I'm not saying that every firm should do what, what they, they want to do for their own, their own sort of circumstances and their own structure. But I'm putting it back on, on the agenda saying, maybe just maybe the time is right. Maybe when this, this bull market won't continue, maybe the regulations will get tougher. Maybe things will be much more transparent. Maybe you'll have more baby boomers retiring and your, your revenues are going to fall as a result. All I'm saying is maybe people should put this on the agenda and have greater discussions uh, around it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure. I'm here with uh, Barry Horner from Paradigm Norton. Uh, great to see you, Barry. Good to be with you. We're here to talk about uh, advice fees. Mm. Um, so I guess the first question is, have we started to see the great move towards flat fees in the advice profession? My take is no. Um, okay. I think you look out there and there's lots of different sort of competing models in terms of what clients are offered, whether it's um, flat fee, ad valorem or time-based or a combination of them. And, and clearly there are a number of firms who are making a big play about flat fees, fixed fees, etc. But I think the professional has got a long way to go before we see that. And, and for me, that really isn't the issue. I think the issue is more around the added value that we deliver to clients. And I think that's where we're not very good, to be honest. So I don't think it's per se what you charge. It's your ability to really clearly articulate what you do. So if I can give a quick example mm. of that, we're, um, we're doing a bit of building work on our house at the moment. So we commissioned an architect to do the building project for us. And when I get their invoices through, sometimes it's based on the overall value of the project. Sometimes it's based on time. And frankly, am I over bothered about that? Not really. What I'm bothered about is what's the overall fee I'm going to pay. Mm. And when I look at that in the context of the work I uh, that's been done for me do i feel added value has been delivered so uh, for me that's key and that's the basis on which i evaluate am i happy to pay the fee and equally yeah. with our clients and fees generally i think that's the that's the real issue and i think we're not very good at that and we need to get much better at it so how do we genuinely articulate the the added value that we deliver to clients and i think in the past we've we've sort of got away with with things and yeah. and now we're being held more to account on what, what's been charged and what's been paid. So the advocate for flat fees we've had in here last week, Alan Smith uh, from Capital Asset Management, mm. well known for supporting flat fees. Yeah, his argument was that flat fees, uh, or sorry, the percentage fees don't adequately uh, express the value added by a financial planner. Right. Um, so he was saying, you know, why if you're paying from a percentage of invested assets, mm. it's so closely tied to the ups and downs of, of, of the success of those, of those investments, the success of those decisions, yeah. and obviously the vagaries of markets, yeah. that that just has so, so little associated with the, the financial planning value that yeah. you said that you agree, I think, is, is badly expressed. Sure. And that was what yeah. was dri driving his kind of quote. Yeah, and... I know Alan well and very much respect what he's done and his business. But I think when you look at fees, generally, I could make an argument. I, I think fundamentally, 
whichever way you charge, there are fundamental flaws to how you do it. So, you know, for example, those working on on a time charge basis. So you have a client in one week, you do a great big piece of work, you charge the client £10,000, they see that's been great value, good outcome for that client. You've done all the work or a lot of the work. The following week, a similar client walks through the door. You've already previously done all the work. Do you now charge the client only 2000 or do you charge them ten? So I think in, almost in any in a variety of ways that we can charge, there's inherent challenges within it. Um, that's not to say Avalorum will c- carry on forever. And in fact, I mean, when you talk to me about doing this interview, for me it's quite timely because we're about to embark on a fee project ourselves. Now, my I suspect the outcome okay. of it will be that we will probably continue to do what we do. Right. But I think, you know, you, you need to constantly look at the market, see what's happening, and and just because it was right for the last five years doesn't mean it's right for the next five years. And um, I think a number of our clients now pay a fixed fee, a good proportion, mm. probably up to 30% of our clients. We haven't made the big song and dance of it that Alan <laughs> has, and perhaps we should have done. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the difficulty in terms of whichever way you look at things. It's value is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. And I go back to my earlier point, which is what we really need to get good at is demonstrating the added value. Because frankly, at the end of the day, I, I genuinely think it's one of those things that we we think is a real hot potato. But you know, you've done so many surveys, you know often what advisors think are real issues and not necessarily what clients think are real issues. Mm. So I mean, for the first year ever, we had a client uh, where we charge a fixed fee and he came back this year and said you're undercharging me here's a check for another three thousand pounds i've been really wowed by what you've done what, I, so so what we so say yes get into detail so articulating that value obviously that's a he kind of presents somewhat of a paradigm for that um so to speak um what was so what yeah what have you learned from that what you know where where where's your thinking in terms of expressing value this value well, i think again i've been asked that question before and i think it's it's such a difficult one because it means so it's means such different things to different clients so you know you, you i don't think you necessarily come out with an added value statement there's probably areas that you can i mean you know we do personal tax so mm. you know if we've saved a client a hundred thousand pounds in inheritance tax by doing some strategic estate planning there's a definable um, uh, added value. Mm. But so much of it is intangible. I mean, one of the things that we're working on and looking at, our, our mission as a business is around impacting the lives of our clients. And what we need to get better at is is being able to articulate what actually do we mean by impacting them. And, and, and we know that we do impact clients because they write in and said, you know, you, we've been with you 10 years and we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't have achieved mm. all the goals we had. But actually, it's almost like creating some sort of peace of mind scale. Because whenever you look at these surveys and when we, for example, have our client board and we ask clients what they value and then we have the conversation with the clients, mm. it, at the end of the day, it nearly always comes back to peace of mind. And if you could somehow capture and measure that, you know, how much peace of mind did you have when, when, a, when you came to Paradigm Norton? Where are you now? For me, that's the biggest determinant of whether people are happy to pay fees and you know that I mean we offer a money guarantee as well in our terms of business okay so if clients feel they genuinely haven't had value and thankfully in 18 years we haven't yet had someone come back and ask for money back but yeah. you know so so for me that it, it's more more an issue around the quality of what you deliver and the experience they take away with we, we've just done our uh, annual conference and Ruth led a really great session on loving our clients to death and she was talking about the fact we need to move more into creating experiences for clients mm. and I think you know we have gone some way to do that but we've got a lot we've got a lot further to go 
That's so interesting. When I was at uh, the Financial Wellbeing Conference last week, you know, Chris Budd's affair right. uh, in, in Bristol, yeah. um, he mentioned something, uh, th this very thing about how expressing value. Mm. And interestingly, um, you've come at it largely from the, the, the basis of asking the clients what they value. Yeah. Um, I quite liked one of Chris's suggestions uh, was, was to create a, a wellbeing report. Right. So to be actually a little bit more upfront and mm. say, these are all the things, I guess, according to the goals, financial plan, the conversations mm. that have been had, that over maybe a year, maybe three years, we've done we've done for you. Right. Uh, and kind of not letting the clients forget about right, it. Right, yeah. Because perhaps there's a tendency for them to, you know, not to remember all the brilliant things that sure, you've done as an sure. advisor. Uh, and we do that in part. And I must say, since merging with the Red House, there's a number of things that Ruth had really cracked and, and did incredibly well. Oh, yeah. And I think she's definitely ahead of where we were in that. I mean, she provides an added value statement for every client, oh, wow. whether that's the same as Chris's well-being report. But what they try to do is just capture through a number of metrics and a number of goals. This is, And they were always really explicit with that. This is the exact fee you've paid in pounds and pence. Mm -hmm. This is where we've, um, we believe we've added value. And then it's an agenda item for a conversation. And it really opens up that... Yeah, I think, you know, you really added value there. I'm not quite sure whether I would agree you on, with you on that. But, you know, I think that that's, to me, it's all around transparency and openness. And if you've got clients who can feel that they can come on and talk about either a situation like I've just mentioned where a client said, actually, we'd like to pay you more, or equally a client when, who goes, do you know what, I read your terms of business, you've got a money back guarantee. To be able to have that conversation, as yeah. I say, thankfully, we haven't, I think is, is, you know, that's where we all need to be. Did that client who wanted to pay you more, did you did you allow him to pay you more? Of course we did. We're a commercial organisation. And he, he would have been, knowing the client, he would have been slightly affronted had we not. Ah. And I do genuinely, I mean, he, it's probably one of my favourite meetings of the year. And we have a number sure. of people around the table, including our tax team, our graduates and things. And, and he's a previous FTSE 100 CEO who's just such a delightful guy to work with. But, but we've also done some cracking work for him. So we, we gladly took his extra fee <laughs> his suggestion yeah. yeah his suggestion great and yeah. uh i think one thing you you alluded to earlier was that you had people on flat fees some paying percentage and so on yeah so maybe explain that a little bit more that you have a, a couple of options for for clients yeah we've, we've always sort of worked like that on the basis that we we look after relatively few clients compared to the size of the firm and therefore when people come to us if they've there's a lot of clients come to us through private banks or discretionary fund managers. And if a client's generally been happy with an ad valorem asset fee at around 1%, then we'll typically, we'll have the conversation. Um, we have other clients who come to us. We work with quite a lot of, lot of the Magic Circle law firm partners where, right. you know, their whole business model is around hourly charging. And they say, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I'm not sure I want to move to 1% model. But some of them are paying thirty to 40,000 in chargeable time. We track chargeable time for every client. And so regardless of what regardless of what the basis, because, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, we 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 frequently start to evaluate this is what what's um, been charged at one percent or it tears down once they go over two and a half million mm. to 75 basis points. Um, and we measure that against time just to know generally where our profitability levels are across the business. So that's an exercise that we mm. generally do. But again, I think sometimes there's a sort of big hoo-ha around how much you've been charged. I think a the client needs to determine that by are they going to stick with you through thick and thin for a long period of time. And they can vote with the fee at any time and, and go elsewhere. But interestingly, I thought the um, article that Cheryl Garrett wrote recently that said she charges a, a hourly rate basis. But if she was working on a 
fixed fee basis of a 1% fixed fee, her fees would be would be, would have been higher. So uh, sorry, would have been lower. She's making mm. more essentially on a on a um, on a time charge basis. Right. So I think it's different business model, different fee charging suits, different business models. And essentially what we've tried to do in all our decisions is make make everything client led. And if you get a client who particularly wants to work on one basis, and I think also for the large portfolios, I mean, we're now fortunate in looking after a few portfolios that are certainly 50 million, some are 100 and 200 million above. Yeah. And I think that there does get to the point where uh, I know some firms call it a decency fee, where you just have to cap the, char- the far- charge you're, you're, you're levying to a client. And frankly, if they add another two, two million or whatever it is, does it materially alter what you're doing for the client. So mm. for our large clients, we, we definitely at that sort of level are, are very much working around a fixed fee. I suppose there's one element and I certainly, uh, it depends on how much this is relevant to your firm, but I've been thinking recently, you know, about, you know, younger, you know, advising younger mm. people mm. Or, or the sort of the, the so-called Henry's, you know, the people high incomes and not earning mm. yet or mm. whatever it is. Mm. Um, the, the, so I guess, you know, there's some force there to say the percentage model has to some extra extent, ingrained uh, an attitude or way of doing things among the mm. financial advice profession mm. that you have to have a certain amount of assets before you become a viable client. Yeah, um, and that has seemed to me to be one of the, the I guess, the not ne- negative effects, but you know, it's certainly an issue for advice as a professional or something that wants yeah. to be regarded as a profession. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Putting my let's build the profession hat. I completely agree. You know, we create artificial barriers to entry by people working a certain way. But at the same time, I think if a if any one company decides our business model is working with a particular segment, and actually that's with people over 250,000, do they have to, should they be obligated to deal with the millennial who wants to start saving £100 a month? I think I think we'll see an evolving profession and we'll see new businesses and people starting to work out how you deliver added value to people in a different way. Um, and I find that very exciting. I mean, obviously, we've got the whole sort of fintech thing coming along, which I think will change how we deliver advice. But I think mm. that will be for the better. But I think it's we are at that crossroads in terms of, you know, for firms like for ours, working out, we're gradually taking more and more of the children of our clients. How do you deliver value where you haven't got a thousand or two thousand or three thousand pound fee i'm not sure many firms have cracked it but for those that do i think you know you can deliver so much value to i've got three boys who are sort of 22 to 30 and Mm. it's that's the sweet spot when you really need to be impacting them but it's the very time when they can't afford it so if we can work to create a model that allows that that's regulatory light um Mm. i think yeah that'd be fantastic i think uh one point that's come from recent uh, FCA data, they mm. have this data bulletin every year, and from our own research with our own audience, which is uh, obviously limited because it's not the whole of the market, but remarkably consistent, mm. is that fees, the FCA can show that uh, the amount earned from fees has been rising. Mm. I think startlingly so mm. from 2013, though they perhaps it's replacing commission or mm. something like that. Mm. But certainly, you know, the reported amounts that are being being charged mm. seem to have gone up over the, those uh, last few years. So mm. um, that's painting a picture for me of you know fees not being under pressure. They're being, you know, if anything, inflating a, a bit. Yeah. Um, does that, uh, I guess, ring true to you? Um, what are the what's the reality as a, as an advice business owner of the pressures? Are there more pressures 
that are forcing them up, whether it be costs to your business, for example, sure. uh, or competition, mm. than, forcing, than forcing them down. Yeah, I guess it's a, a slightly different one for me to comment on because I feel I'm a sort of in this financial pub planning bubble where right. actually pre-RDR and post-RDR, we didn't change our fee structure at all. And I guess okay. the vast majority of firms, when you go to NMA conferences and things, I didn't see a very significant change pre and post. But it, but it, but also it's, it's probably a question of how fees in aggregate are packaged. Is it that the advice fee, that the certainly in a vertically integrated business, is it that mm. some component parts of that have dropped, but actually the advice element has gone up so it depends yeah. sort of which part of the segment you're you're measuring because i do think with what's happened um in terms of the overall i mean you know for clients the added value i think is in the financial planning it's then in the delivery of mm. the planning not so much in the asset management and i think that's why it's interesting to see the way what how fintech will um, change the market so yeah. in agri aggregate i would say probably advice fees have fallen but actually the take from the advisor if you're delivering good sound financial advice you know we're in a more complicated world so it's sort of not unsurprising that perhaps people would need more planning so certainly in down markets our finance our revenues tend to go up because okay. clients for example need confidence which is typically i know what you're going to say to me or i think i know what you're going to say to me but can you just re give me some reassurance right and also if you do go through a period where you have two years of down markets not that you always plan in a linear way but actually clients also need some reassurance. You know, the goals I've set in 10 or 15 years time, am I on track? There may be some more tax planning. Yeah. So that would be my perspective that actually if you took your, if you took the new model advisor audience, for example, it'd be interesting to know the stats on that in terms of pre-RDR and post-RDR in terms of comparisons. But I, I certainly wouldn't have envisaged that the overall fee take for the planning firms would have gone up significantly since 2013. Sounds like a, a great research project for us to do. There you are. <laughs> Barry, thank you very much. Okay, pleasure. Thanks. Cheers.